This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, doing good? Why don't you do something right now? Even online, you know, if you're, you're with someone else, just turn around and like, say hello to who you're beside. Like, shout at them if you have to, okay? Across the way there. Shout Hello. Out, shout out to the people online. Yes. And I know for a fact Jeff Benker is watching from his patrol car right now. So no that's kidding. Pretty cool. so, yeah, he probably should be focusing on other things. But yeah, hey, Jeff, yeah. it's good to see you, buddy. I'm glad uh, you're here. We'll give our law enforcement a hand. Yeah, right? Okay, so anyway, there you go right there. So I, I think that every one of us have heard this little phrase here, right? Here it is right there. History repeats itself, right? Everyone's heard that? I think so. That's not, a, it's not an old I mean, that's an old phrase. It's been, been around for a long time. Absolutely. And uh, we, we've often heard it um, <clears throat> relative to an experience, um, history, of, uh, of course. And I think and many of you are reading through the book of Judges. So a number of you are, we're friends on, on version, And I see that you've la- landed on a plan that I'm following as well in Judges. And, and so you're reading. And I, I hope that we are because I really encourage you to just read one chapter of Judges a week as we kind of plow through this, this series. And I, I think that that phrase fits the book of Judges really, really well. Because we see, again, the c- cyclical pattern of the Israelites, Israel, um, uh, abandoning God, um, uh, crying out to him, coming back to him, a king being raised, or a judge being ra- raised up, and, and again and again and again. So history repeats itself, I think, fits the, the book of Judges. Um, why? I mean, have you ever asked that question when you're reading the Bible, and like maybe particularly the Old Testament? Why? It, why? Why? Yeah, why? So like, why did you obey God? after all that he did for you. Like, you experienced his hand in so many ways, right? Leading in, in miraculous ways. And, and what, about, what about the love for God that's reflected in obe- obedience? So you don't have to go far in the book of Judges, and here's what you read. Just some, some excerpts from uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they abandoned God. Um, they went after other gods uh, from among the gods of the peoples who, are, who were around them. They bowed down to them. So they, they worshiped these gods. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunders who plundered them. Um, he sold them into the hand of surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. This is from Judges chapter 2. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. You remember the warning that Joshua gave to Israel? Remember that back, back in the closing chapters of Joshua? Um, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was, was against them. And as the Lord has sworn to them, and then, then we read this, and they, they were in terrible distress. Terrible distress. And uh, that follows after um, Israel making this proclamation um, in the close of, of Joshua, far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods, but here they are. I mean, like, it's like, it feels like, it's like yesterday you said this, and today you're doing this, you know, and far be it from us, and all of a sudden they're abandoning the Lord. So we're looking, if you're brand new to, with us today, or maybe visiting, or, or guests, because like we have guests, we don't think we have visitors, we have guests, right? Because 
we want you to stay. Okay, all right. So um, here's the deal. We're, we're looking at four of the judges out of the book of Judges, and we're asking this question, what lessons can we learn? What can we apply to our lives today? So how did we select the four? Well, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you see the four listed there, Gideon, and then you see um, Sam Samson. So we're going to talk about him and Perfect. his hair problem. Yeah. Right? And then, and then uh, Barak and uh, Deborah, slash, slash Deborah, and, and Jephthah. That's Mario's going to teach on Jephthah. We gave him the hard one. Yeah, no kidding. So anyway, <laughs> like that, because how many have heard of Jephthah, you know? I, so. I, had a new, I couldn't think of the fourth one. Honestly, as I was sitting here, I was like, I hope Tom doesn't look to me to answer the fourth one, because I don't know who it is. So. And, the, and the fourth judge is? That's, don't do this to me. Okay, all right, all right. So Jephthah? 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 Yeah, there you go. Right there. You're doing good, all right. So, but we're, we're looking at Gideon. Now, Gideon is someone that you probably know about, right? Yes? Yeah, yeah so I mean, because he's a well-known well um, judge in, in the Bible. And we're going to look at Gideon, and we're going to go like, don't judge me for asking questions. Don't judge me for asking questions, right? So if I were to ask you, and you, you would be right, but if I were to ask you, what do you remember about Gideon? I think probably most of us go, well, he's the dude that threw out the fleece, right? Yeah. right? He, he's a guy who, who did that, placed it before the Lord, and uh, that, that, that is true. But um, the, the story of Gideon really begins before, way, way before that, and there's some lessons that we're going to learn. Judges chapter, chapter 6, okay? And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to, to the Lord. So re remember, remember this pattern that we talked about? So here, here are the Israelites, they're brought very, very low. What does very low look like? Yeah. Right? It looks very, very low. Looks, and uh, so, yeah, I yeah. kind of jumped on your stuff. You did. I? You just took like my portion <laughs> I of it. I, I kind of got know. excited well, about getting excited about that. you're doing nothing, Tom. Okay, go Jeez, ahead. man. What does very low look uh, like? They were brought very, very low. Okay. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were like in distress, it's, right? It's important to understand this. I, I often talk to my, my youth about this. It's like we, we've heard these stories our whole lives. We've heard these stories in, 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 in children's books and in children's Bibles growing up. And, and then as you grow up, you, you hear kind of the main points. But a lot of times we forget to read the context of what happened before the story with the fleece, right? Like yeah. what, we yeah. need to lay that foundation. So um, they were in a place where they were very low because of the Midianites. And the Midianites were basically this encampment that, uh, that would invade the Israelites' nation and invade the Israelites' land, camp on their land, completely consume everything that was there, and then once all the goods were gone, They'd leave. It says this in Judges 6 6, or in Judges chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's, or the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And we've been in COVID for three years and it feels like it's been forever. Imagine doing this for seven yeah. years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains, caves, and strongholds. And then whenever it, it, it continues saying that the Israel, or they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, and they would come in for their livestock with their tents, and they were as thick as locusts, it says, as they took over the land, and it finishes up in six. And so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then 
the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. It, it is important that we understand that they're not coming off a couple good years here when we get to this part of the story with Gideon. Um, they are coming off some rough times. And it's not that God was punishing them, but it was that God wasn't protecting them in the way that he once was from these neighboring nations. And the question for you is this, or that, that I would ask is, would this discourage you? Like if you were living out um, life in, a, in such a way that every time you started to get a foothold, every time you started to get some traction, it was all just completely wiped away. And now the sad part is that some people in the room are probably sitting here going, that's what my life feels like. Right? Like that's how it feels. It feels like every time I get a little bit ahead, something happens that takes it back. And uh, this is kind of the place that we find Gideon and the Israelites at yeah, this point in the story. Really, 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 really rough spot. So we have to kind of translate. They were brought very, very low, right? That's right. So you think, you're, you think someone stole your catalytic converter is bad. Right. It's like I have friends who that happened to recently. Really? Yeah, totally. Like, whack it off. Okay. So there yeah. you go right there. Or, or your car. I mean, um, that's been happening, right? We had a car, a truck stolen out of our parking lot here. Yeah. No, I mean, no, we're talking the yeah. food is being right. stolen. But this, yeah. Like Land food, is being like ravaged, people, burnt, discouraged. I mean, they're afraid. Yeah. It's, it's a rough spot like, to be in. Like, so someone comes in your house and steals all your food and your ability to to, to get food. So that's, 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 that's where they are. It's within this context then um, that a prophet is sent to Israel who reminds them of who the God of Israel is and his deliverance at the hand of the Egyptians. And, and I want to give you a principle that I want you to hang on to uh, as we go out because it re really surfaces right here in the story. And it says, remembering the past builds faith for the future. Remembering the past builds faith for the future, or don't forget God's faithfulness to you. If I were to ask you this morning um, to just reflect on the, on the past for just a second and take out your phones, we say, hey, don't leave your phones at home, bring them to church because we use them from time to time, um, <clears throat> to text somebody right now um, what God did for you in the past, would we be able to remember that? Right. And, and what is it that we would text? You see, remembering the past builds faith for the future because what he did yesterday, he will do today and he'll do again tomorrow because he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So the Israelites for, for, forgot um, um, that, that this faithful God had delivered them, right, and had led them out. Um, my wife is a list maker. I'm so glad because, like, I am not a list maker. She's a list maker, so we don't forget anything. Um, what, what do you think would happen if the Israelites like, would have made a list? So that, and they put that in front of them so they always remembered that when these, and particularly when they had these temptations to kind of step away um, and worship other gods, they would be reminded of the faithfulness of God. But somehow that, that slipped from their minds, and unfortunately it led to di disobedience. So let me just say what this le led to, because here it is. It, it, it led to something that we talked a little bit about last week, and it's this, that the, the, the strong, loving discipline of the Father God who loves his children too much to let sin go unpunished. Just think about that for just a second. It led to the strong, loving discipline of Father God. We talked about discipline last year, that, that he disciplines those he loves. 
um, his children too much to let sin go unpunished. And what is true in their life is also true in our life. Right. It really is. Um, and so um, it led to the call of Gideon in his life um, at a time when I, I'm not sure that he expected it because here's, here's the setting that Gideon is called in. Like He's hiding. That's what he's doing. He is hiding. He is beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites because of what you just described. And that's an important yeah. thing. To, I, 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 even as I was reading this this time, I was like, what's the big deal about beating out the wheat in the wine? Like, why is that significant? And I think it's important to note that this isn't something that you would normally do. In fact, uh, in order to, to beat out the wheat, what you would do is you would actually bring it up to a, a ground level thing and you would let the wind take away the, the is it the chaff? Chaff, chaff. Yeah, chaff. Yeah, yeah. And the wheat would fall down and then you would collect that. We, it made it much easier. Well, he's inside a wine press, which is a very different design. Essentially, it's a bowl carved out of the rock. And what we, what we realize is, and to the people of that day, with, when they're reading this, what's very clear is Gideon is hiding in this wine press, uh, separating this wheat from the chaff. It's almost like, like uh, I remember, uh, I, have, I like Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> and uh, okay. as you may be able to tell. And my, my wife doesn't love me eating Reese's peanut butter cups. And so I would hide them in the garage, right? <laughs> And every so often, I got to go out there to get a light bulb, or I got to go out there <laughs> to, to, to check the oil, right? And I go out to the car, and I might, maybe one of them fell in my mouth accidentally. No, what happened was, is I was hiding from my wife because I didn't want her to see me. I was afraid of getting caught. And in a much more intense and a much more serious way, that's what Gideon's doing here. He is hiding away from the, 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 the Ammonites, and he is completely afraid of the fact that they are going to come upon him and take the very wheat that he is pressing out. Um, he's hiding in the spot. And it's in this moment, it's in this moment of almost cowardice that God approaches Gideon. You know, you always think that God is going to come to us when we're ready, when we feel prepared, when we're, when we're all prayed up and, and, and ready to go. But the truth is, a lot of times God comes to us and asks us to do difficult things at our very most scared, most vulnerable, and most difficult moments. And in this moment, I imagine uh, when this, when this uh, the, the, in Judges 6.13, um, when Gideon is asking the angel this question, he says this, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? And furthermore, where are all the wonderful things that we heard from our fathers? So this angel comes to him and says, Gideon, you're going to now, we're going to call you to action. And he's, he's, he's lost hope. He's sitting there going, where, if the Lord is so good and the Lord is with us, then why are all these horrible things happening to us? And I think we find ourselves in this spot. He then goes on to say, basically, the clan that I come from, by the way, if you want me to lead the Israelites in this time, I want you to know that my clan is the weakest of the weak clans. Not only that, Gideon refers to himself as the least in his father's house. So he's, he's, he's basically trying to disqualify himself when this angel comes in and says, uh, you are a mighty man of valor. His response is kind of a, like, no, you don't want to use just little old me. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just a little old yeah. Gideon. Like, I'm just hiding out in my wine press. I don't got anything to contribute. Please don't make me do this. Um, and Gideon is from the tribe of Manasseh. And, and we, we, we see, it. We, you can speak a little bit more to, to what that looks like. But yeah. um, it's not the strongest of tribes. Let's just say that. Yeah, smallest of all. But I, I kind of chuckle every now and then when, when I read that about the angel 
shows up to Gideon, he goes, you're a mighty warrior. Right. <laughs> like, please, R- really? Yeah. You know. As he's hiding. As he's hiding, because he is from the weakest um, in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and, and he is the weakest, the less capable of his entire family, right? And so he goes like, I'm, I'm the very least of the least. Why would you use me? And so low opinion of himself, maybe. False humility, maybe. But Gideon goes on to toss out um, a test by requesting the angel not to depart until he returns. So, so we get the kind of questioning and the, and the testing, which is, which is completely okay. We'll talk about that in just a moment for a follower. Jesus like, I got, I got questions. Is, is, this really, is this really you? Is this how you're leading? So upon his return, you'll read about it in Judges 6 and 7, the whole story. Upon his return with meat and unleavened cake, the angel instructs Gideon to put them in a rock and pour broth over them, which Gideon did. And I might feel, feel, feel kind of weird, but here's <laughs> what happened. The angel reaches out his staff, touches the meat and the cake, and poof, and it, it has gone. Fire, fire came up, consumed the, both of them, and here's Gideon's response. I have it for you right here. Chapter 6, verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And I'm going, <laughs> really? <laughs> really? It took that for you to perceive that? And I kind of like going like, that's a, that's a duh moment, you know, like, oh, it must be an angel because all the stuff that I just put there and doused it with broth is immediately gone. So Gideon's got a little bit of a, um, of, uh, uh, I think encouragement, right? So he destroys the altar of Baal. It becomes known to all the Midianites and the Malachites and the, and as they crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. And so check what's going on here because what you described earlier is now going to happen again, right? It's time for the annual invasion of the Midianites and their allies. But this time it would be different. And some, I think sometimes we kind of read through a story of Gideon and we just may have missed this part, and I love it. And I'm going to just read it to you because the Gideon that we see here, kind of going, okay, um, are you really sure, God? I'm the least, and the clan's, my clan's the smallest. He's a different guy by verse 34. Listen to this. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Providing Gideon with something um, as a mere human, he would not have divine enablement. That's what, that's what we'll call it. The presence of the, of the Holy Spirit. He was literally clothed. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Um, those who were at the insanity of God kind of saw this transformation last night, right? When this gentleman who was in prison, who had lost all hope, the next day the Spirit, the Holy Spirit spoke to him in a real and powerful way. And when the guards left him the night before and came to him the morning before, he was a different person because of the Spirit of God. And this is what we're seeing here mm. um, with Gideon. Now, is he ready for battle? No. Almost. But <laughs> no. not, but not yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not ready yeah. to march off in a battle quite yet. Because I think while he might be clothed by God, he's also sitting there internally still struggling to know, is this, is this I mean, it took him that long to perceive that it was an angel. Yeah. I think he's, uh, he's taking his sweet time to make sure. And so this is where we see those tests. The f- this is where the story of the fleece finally comes in. 
And for those of you who don't know that story, essentially he wanted to test God to make sure that this is what he was supposed to do, um, to, to make sure that what he's hearing from God is true. And so he says, okay, if this is you, God, um, I'm going to lay out a fleece, and um, if in the morning that fleece is soaking wet, but the ground is completely dry, then I'll trust you. Then I'll, and then I'll trust you. Next morning he wakes up, fleece is soaked absolutely soaked. It says so much that, you know, they're wringing it out and the ground is bone dry. Okay. Enough, right? That's probably enough. Can we all agree? That's probably enough of a test. Nope. Let's run that one again. Right. He's like, Oh, maybe this is just what always happens. And so let's do the opposite this time. Now I want the ground to be swampy and marshy and I want the fleece to be bone dry. So he does it. He lays it out. God and his infinite patience. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, uh, does as he, as he requests, and he goes out and it's, it's bone dry again. And so basically at this point he realizes, okay, this is God calling me into this. I'm going to do this. Um, God, provide me the army that you want me to have. Like give me, uh, there's like a hundred thousands of, the, of these Midianites, and, and, and I'm going to ask that you provide me with enough troops to go and conquer these people. And so they get an army of about 32,000. Uh, 32,000 men, which already, let's do some math. You're outnumbered, right? <laughs> like, you're going to lose. Uh, 32,000 versus 100,000, is, 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 it's catastrophe waiting to happen. Well, then the Lord prompts him, and he says, okay, I want you to now start weaning out parts of your army. And so he says, I want you to go to the army. I want you to ask them, is anybody here afraid and doesn't want to fight? If any of you do, you can go home. Does anybody know how many left? <laughs> yeah. A lot. 10,000, right? Like ten, I want to just grasp how big 10,000, that's one-sixth of CenturyLink Stadium just left, right? Or like, no, we're bouncing, right? This is, this is not for me. And honestly, if I was sitting there looking at the Midianites and I'm, and I'm you know, 32,000 versus 100,000, I might have left myself. Well, now they're sitting there with 22,000. And uh, they're, they're starting to get a little bit more nervous. Um, they're, they're thinking, you know, God's done more with less. And so uh, we're going to trust here. And so they have another test. And they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. God, God commands Gideon. He says, go down and have your men drink from the water. And there's going to be two types of, of, of ways that the men drink. If they, if they scoop down and they cup it with their hands and bring it to their mouths, um, I want you to set them aside. And then if there's another group that basically bends down on all fours and laps the water like a dog, essentially, uh, I want you to put them on another side. Now, if I was the commander of the army and I saw 300 men, because that, that's what happened, lap water for straight like a dog, those would be the ones that I eliminated, right? Yeah. Because something's wrong up here. I don't know who drinks like that. Um, if any of you do drink like that, I apologize that I'm offending you. But you're doing it the wrong way. I hope you know that. That's not how you should drink. And so, um, basically, Gideon gets so nervous at this second test that he has this man named Pura? 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 Let's just go with Pura. P-U-R-A-H. And he basically says, yeah, I want you to come and I want you to count how many people drank this way. And so Pura comes back to Gideon and he's like, okay, I've got great news. Okay, only 300 drank that way. So that means we still have like 21,700 people left in our army. And at this moment, Gideon looks at him and says, no, the 300 is the army we're taking. 
the rest are being separated. The rest are being, are being removed. And there's this huge imagery, uh, t- I mean, it, the whole wheat chafing and all this stuff is kind of what we see happening here. The men are coming through the system and being sorted out and sifted through, and there's only 300 left. And there's this great passage um, that John Bloom wrote about, it's a reflection on this. Um, and, and basically, he, he writes it from the perspective of, of Purah and Gideon having a conversation. And he says it this way, and then, and then we'll, we'll have some verses here, in, or some passage here in a second. But it says this, he, wrote, he writes, Purah shook his head and said, even if we were like the mighty men of old, 300 could not overcome 100,000. He paused, and we aren't mighty men. Another pause. And there's more than 100,000 men down there. Both were silent for a while, and in the quiet, the Lord spoke to Gideon. He said this, with, those, with these 300 men, I will rescue you, and I will give you victory. Then Gideon said to Purah, during the exodus, how many mighty men did it take to destroy Egypt and its army, or part the Red Sea? Purah thought briefly, none. How many did it take to tear down the walls of Jericho? None. How many did it take to feed two million of our people in the wilderness every day for 40 years? None, Purah said. And then it it says this, in our people's history, the mightiest have not been strong warriors, Gideon said. The mightiest have been those who trusted the Lord and obeyed him, no matter how impossible the things appeared. We will obey and he will act. And when Midian falls, it will be clear to everyone by whose hand victory was achieved. And that's exactly what happened. The story of Gideon is a story of trusting and letting God act. Because if we try to rely on our actions, it's 300 versus 100,000. We're never going to win on our own. But it doesn't take mighty men. It takes a mighty God. Exactly. So that's the story of Gideon. Now, I wanted to tell you that story first, and then we're going to talk about four lessons. And as someone said, you can only dissect a butterfly one time. <laughs> so we didn't want to mess up the story by kind of inserting <laughs> the lessons as we go there. But I want to make a connection for you um, that m- maybe has not occur- occurred um, before. It came to me this past week. Do you see the connection between um, the... the um, the lusting of the army by God, right down to 300 people, this small army, and God using the smallest of the clan and the least of these. It was like God saying, look, you may think you're the least of these. Let, let, me, let me just kind of reinforce that. Now you have an army that nobody would go to battle with of 300. It's a beautiful story of how God uses his people. It's, it's him. And we may be in that place right now. I, then I thought about the, the um, passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God uses the least at least the guy who thought he was, right. and the smallest army to accomplish his purpose. Now, we've got four lessons to share with you that you can take on. Life lesson number, number one. Are you ready? Here we go. God defines you by who he says you are, not by your current circumstance or even your questions. It's okay to, it's okay to question God with an open heart, 
that seeks after God. Gideon was stuck in this wine press. You, you described it. Um, God called him out of where he was and where he wanted him to be. He would just have to follow. Our current circumstance can do one of two things. It can either lead us to God or away from God. Our questions and our doubts can either lead us closer to him or lead us away from him. God defines you by who he says you are. And so often we put so much energy and so much thought into what other people are saying who we are yeah. rather than within God. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Life lesson number two that we see from the story of Gideon is this. The spirit of God that clothed Gideon for battle lives in you and enables you. Now, I want to say that again. The spirit of God that clothed Gideon for battle lives in you and enables you. It's, it's kind of interesting, as Tom was, as was saying at the top of the message there, you know, how does, how does Israel keep falling away when they've seen these amazing acts and these amazing stories? And the truth is, I want to ask the same question of us, right? Like, how do we keep walking away? How do we keep falling away when we know the end of the story? They didn't know the end of the story. They didn't get to see Jesus yeah. come and die and get resurrected. We get to see that, and we, we still find ourselves in a place falling away. But at the same time, the same God that was there with them, that was there with Gideon, that was there with, with Christ, that was there with the early disciples, who clothed them and empowered them and moved them forward, is in this room right now. And he's doing the same thing yeah. with us. We, too, can't find ourselves in the spot of falling away. We need to know that... God is clothing us and, uh, and, and, and enabling us for battle. Yeah, it's a good word. He's the same spirit. Same right? spirit. Live, lives in us. Life lesson number three, and some of us may need to be reminded of, of this, God's peace is present in the battle. Mm. If you go back and read the story of Gideon on your own, um, the word of the Lord to Gideon is his word to you and me, peace be to you, do not fear. And that's the word for you and me today. You might be involved in a battle of some kind. And God's, God is with you. His peace is present in whatever battle you may be facing right now. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. So you know what that means in Greek? Mm. Anything. <laughs> you okay. got me there. Yeah, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. His peace goes with us each and every day and is with us in battle. Then life, life lesson number four. It's this. Uh, our inadequacies are God's opportunities. And what this means is basically our weaknesses is where God's strengths get to shine through. And thank God that this happens, right? I have a, I have a wife, and she is very uh, different than me. <laughs> she, she doesn't like speaking on stage. She doesn't like, but what, she, what my weaknesses are are her strengths. And that's why we, com why, why we complement each other so well. Um, multiply that by 10,000, and that's our God. He is a God who in our inadequacies, in our failures, in our shortcomings, those are the opportunities where he will step in and be God. He will, he will, that, when we say he will empower us, that's what we're talking about, is his strength will shine through in our weaknesses. Paul's words are true when it says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when we're weak, we have to rely on God. Exactly. And that's what Gideon had to do in this story. So here's what I'd like for you to do as, as we kind of close out our time together today, is reflect on these four questions. Which one do you need to land on? Just, just pick one today. 
Um, maybe, maybe you're all wrapped up in what someone else is, def- how they're defining you, but you just need to know and be reminded it's God. Um, do we need to be reminded the same spirit that clothed Gideon is the same spirit that clothes you and me for battle? Do you need to be reminded and experience God's peace? Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you feel like Gideon, right? He was, you know, of, of the least, and he is the least. Maybe that's where you are today. But that's God's opportunity to use you. It's just that we will avail ourselves to him. I'm going to pray, and then Josiah's going to lead us in communion this morning. So hope you grab your little onesie on the way in, and uh, we're going to gather around the table to get together. But can I lead us in prayer? And would you just reflect on those four life lessons from the story of Gideon? And go like, God, help me in this area, whatever that is that you might be lifting up to him here in this room and, and online. Let's join together in prayer, shall we? Father, I thank you today for your word that leads us and guides us in all ways. Um, I thank you for um, the lesson that we learned today from Gideon of who you are um, and what you can accomplish when we just simply avail ourselves to you. It's not who we are, it's whose we are. And God, I thank you for that and the reality of that. As we lift up these um, life lessons would you just, would you speak to us, God? Can we have that Gideon moment when you say, like, I want to use you? And just be reminded that your inadequacies, <laughs> that's what I want to use. It's not who other people are saying about you, it's who I say you are. And my peace, you can experience daily. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So now we're going to move into a time of communion as we're reflecting on the story of Gideon. It's pretty powerful to think that at Christ's weakest moment, right, at his most human human moment, um, he is still stronger and greater and bigger than anything that we've ever accomplished in our lives. What he did on that cross uh, just glorifies the power of Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to remember that today. And so let's pray. And uh, we're going to have these elements in front of us. And so let's pray over this bread together. Jesus. Dear Lord, as we reflect on this story, we look at all these, all these different human moments in history, and we find ourselves being able to put ourselves in the story in a lot of different spots. Being able to say, you know what, I, I, I'm not the greatest of these. I am the least of these, Lord. You can't use me. But the truth is because of what you did on that cross, we are now clothed just like Gideon was to move forward. We are now enabled and able to move forward. And so, Lord, we remember what took place on that cross and we take the bread and we eat in this moment to remember what it is that you did for us. Let's let's eat. And Lord... We remember the blood that was spilled on our behalf, the perfect blood, the perfect sacrifice that took place so that we could live, so that we could prosper once again after living in a time of exile. We take and we drink in remembrance of what you did for us. Lord, we thank you, and we're going to enter back into a time of worship now.
Strongholds will be broken down. Strongholds. He shall. 